if you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guest and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift, well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Lori Bischoff, and we are about to start talking some shift with a very unique and fun group of guests today. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Um, Before I introduce them, let me just uh, tell you what's on the menu today. So we're going to talk a little bit about a very important human need. We are going to talk about the starting point of transformation. And uh, let me tell you, it's not where people usually think it is. Uh, We are also going to talk about cultivating self-awareness, self-transformation, and a whole lot more. But I think what's going to make this conversation extra interesting is the is the source of of wisdom and experiences uh, that you're going to hear about. So without further ado, let me tell you just a little bit about my very special guests. The Karma Quadruplets are one of only 24 sets of identical quadruplets quadruplet boys, I should say, in the world, making their chances of birth at one in 600 million. Like that's kind of mind blowing right there. Now, while this statistic may be quite extraordinary, this lifestyle came with deep challenges for the guys and insecurities too that ultimately shaped the karma quadruplets and fueled the impact that they intend to have on the world. They aspire to use their YouTube channel, the Karma Quads, as one of many outlets to impact the world along with such things as life coaching, motivational inspiration and inspirational, speaking, creating music, and a lot more. Now, while they hold many values and traits collectively, the Karma Quads, Lennon, Mark, Nolan, and Sabin, each possess their own unique set of traits. Mark's inspiring passion for helping others and profound vulnerability, Nolan's infectious uplifting humor and ability to make others feel so at ease by purely being himself. He actually has already demonstrated that today when we initially jumped on, and you'll see that soon. Uh, Lennon's remarkable empathy and relationship-centered nature, Sabin's spunk pursuit of big dreams, his trailblazer attitude and passion for people. The karma quadruplets are quite diverse, yet they are very complementary. And I have found them to possess a level of self-awareness and wisdom that is rare among young people, especially 22-year-old dudes, you guys. So get ready. I think you're going to be as impressed as I am once you get to know them. So gentlemen, welcome to We're Talking Shift. Wow. Thank you so much. That was an awesome intro. Yeah. We're honored. I'm excited to have you here. I mean, when I first stumbled across some of your videos, I was like, well, this is really interesting. Who are these guys? And the more I listened, the more intrigued I got because, you know, you're putting out some pretty interesting stuff. They're fun, but um, you also have a lot of really meaningful messages. Um, So viewers are, you know, they're entertained, but they're also 
taking away some pretty valuable information, I think, um, some thought-provoking stuff. So I guess my first question is, um, what is your intention behind the content that you're putting out? And, you know, what are you hoping to teach people and, and who are you targeting? I don't know if you guys have a rule about who gets to talk first, so I'm going to, you want me to just toss that to Sabin, or did, have you already figured out who's going to go first? Sabin can start. Uh, I can, I can start. Okay. Um, like you mentioned earlier, Lori, we've had a set, so we've had some really unique um, life experiences at identical quadruplets, but also some really magnified insecurities that came as a result. Um, I'll give you a couple examples. So obsessive disciplining competition. We would uh, get up at 3.30 in the morning every single morning to play ice hockey. And we would compete so hard with each other that we didn't eat junk food for three years straight. We had harsh judgment of each other so bad that I remember Mark broke up with his girlfriend after he forgot his hockey bag because he was too busy texting her. And the amount of you know disapproval we gave him was was, so, a, big was a big influence in him breaking up with her wow. another one especially for me was the appearance of perfection if we're not worthy as individuals because we got such massive and collective attention for being quadruplets that we only got referred to by our last name or we each had to wear the same color every day in elementary school that does something to children when that we didn't mm. think ourselves were worthy of love or attention yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So before you go on, so you each, like for pretty much all of your young school years, you, like one of you was always wore blue and one always wore red. And so you were like the blue guy or, and you were the red boy and you were the yellow or whatever. Based on our, our first letter of our first name. Yeah. So that was even easier for our, our parents. So Lennon, uh, which is me, was lime, lime green. Mark was, I was, so I was maroon and so when we were babies, they painted our fingernails and toenails, these colors. But once we got to like actual clothes and going to school, there was not enough boys maroon stuff. So I was just Mark Multicolor, which was anything they weren't wearing, which plus for me. And this was in Chester Elementary School years. We ended up stopping in middle school. I was saving Scarlet, so I had to wear red every single day, and I don't have much red in my closet anymore. And I was Nolan Navy, and it's funny because I still find myself wearing blue pretty often <laughs> by nature, which is unlike it. It's just, um, Nolan's the outlier. <laughs> I try. That's interesting. Um, and I suppose, you know, in defense of your parents, at least early on, it, you know, they needed a little bit of help. I, I'm, I'm venturing a guess that you're the first set of quadruplets that they experienced. That's <laughs> a good guess. Good guess. <laughs> so, you know, it, they probably, you know, in hindsight, maybe they um, think or wish they could have done a few things a little bit differently. But being that this was a new experience for them too, I imagine that they were just kind of doing the best they could in each moment through each phase, trying mm -hmm. to manage the four of you and, yeah, and just how you're you were moving through life. No, I I totally agree with that, and they could have never predicted that we would hate that so much that we would never wear those colors essentially much again except <laughs> nolan in the middle school we hated even being seen together because we hated our quadruple identity so much that our mom when she would pull up to the back gate to drop us off we would intentionally get out of the car two minutes separate one at a time making sure that one brother got all the way to the gate before another one of us would go because we hated the massive amount of attention we got for our collective identity 
because looking back, I know that it reinforced that we were nothing as individuals or worthless as individuals. And if I can add to that, uh, one thing I want to mention was one way we want to impact the world through our YouTube channel is we, like in that middle school example, had a huge craving for individuality and individual expression and being just simply who we are. And just like we don't want people to attach themselves to external results, their achievements, but to, to just attach to who they are and what they can control. Um, we didn't want to be attached to some external label that we felt like uh, binded us and restricted us our whole life. And that's another thing that we have addressed a lot in our videos. Mm -hmm. so, I'm sorry. Did you I think that's a really interesting perspective because like, I feel like for us, we have so many insecurities that magnified in a different ways. And I think they're more intensified as quadruplets, but these insecurities, most of them are still pretty universal. So it allows us, it gives us a sense of like credibility because we've been down there really to the extremes with the competition, the judgment, the wanting to express our individuals that allows our words and feelings to come across very authentically because we very much have to reflect them and have had it really hard in dealing yeah. with these deep insecurities. So, and I'll just add to that. Essentially, we have really big hearts and we want nobody to have to suffer the way we did. And so I think that these pains are simultaneously like seeds for our vocation and calling and that we want to do everything in our power because for me personally i know how much suffering comes from trying to appear perfect to everyone else while you rot on the inside i desire nothing more than to be authentic myself and to help other people be that too so they don't have to go through that same kind of suffering so it's a great calling and um so i want to ask you guys um okay so let's come back around to um who are you kind of targeting basically your age demographic then? Is it, you know, basically millennials? It's a good question. I would say that is a good base for who we want to target because I feel like a lot of millennials are on this typical societal path. Um, and that's definitely something we're trying to like get people to not necessarily go on. But I think all age groups kind of suffer from, external influences that tell them certain things are valuable um, and in our experience we've realized when you kind of shift away from that and stop letting society define what you're supposed to do you feel and live a lot more fulfilled at the very least uh, and you prioritize things like relationships uh, and love and family and you when you step back from and question because we're big reflectors and questioners you question why you value certain things you kind of get to the root of a lot of your values are kind of bullcrap to be honest they aren't good values you kind of automatically adopted them and i think uh, a really telling example of how like i think our audience can be primarily millennials and young people but can also be like a wider audience is our parents our not just our youtube but just our reflection and self-awareness journey has literally inspired our parents to read more, to meditate more, to think about what they value. Mm. Um, like our, our dad was very big on the work achievement kind of success is money train. And he literally just like can look back on his past with a self-aware perspective and like literally just see all the places he went wrong and how he'll never do that or define it again. Right. Tell us all the time, like we inspired him to do that. So mm -hmm. I think it's a bigger outreach. And, then, mm -hmm. and just like, it depends on who the person is and when they're making that shift, I think. Sure. Well, I agree. But the only thing I would say personally is the Gen Z and millennial generations, because of things like social media, they're literally growing up with technology and social media that's 
constantly profits by making you feel like that you're not enough as an individual, as an authentic self. And so I think more than anything, getting our messages as powerfully as possible as we can into the hearts of that generation is super, super important. It is important for a wider audience, but I'm very worried about what our generations are going to become. And we want, we want to play the part in doing something about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's a valid fear. So um, my hat is off to you to make that such a uh, central focus of your mission. Um, so there was a point uh, where you guys just couldn't wait to sort of get away from each other. And you kind of each went in different directions. You, you, did, your own, you did your own thing. And so I'd like to talk about and I don't know if this is kind of integrated into this process of, of how then you ended up kind of coming back um, together. But, but when, uh, when, when you and I talked, Sabin, initially, you were talking about your origin story. And I thought that that was really interesting. I don't know if it's, it's like the origin story um, that applies to all of you or if it's a little bit different for each one. But I think some of the things that we want to really um, focus on today are in that story. So tell me a little bit about that. And, uh, and you guys just, yeah, give your, give your take on that. Yeah, I can continue from, so part of the origin story was kind of in middle school and us hating our identity. Um, I would say that that continued all the way until we quit ice hockey. We were kind of forced to stop playing because of financials and that really crushed us. But what's funny about insecurities internally is that when the thing that in the way that it manifests externally, which was hockey, when that ends, the insecurities don't go away. They just take on new form. And so personally, when I took a gap year between high school and college, my hockey, the way I would obsessively compete or harshly judge became weightlifting. And I know for all of us, our freshman year of college, that simply took on a new form in terms of, if I have to be completely honest, competing obsessively for girls and the opposite sex's attention and letting that determine our self-worth. Yeah. Um, harshly judging, you know, the amount, you know, the number of girls that we were dating at the time or something like, like that, and trying to appear perfect. For me, I tried to maintain the ideal work hard, play hard, college balance, getting a 4.0 and partying six nights a week. And so I see how every single one of these deep root insecurities that I thought went away with hockey simply played out in new forms. And so I'll let you guys take it from here, but there's a lot that caused that shift for sure, individual and personal transformations. But I just want to emphasize that this carried on for years and years, even after hockey. I can add to statement and say, the, one of the reasons we split off from college is simply we were sick of having all these quadruplet insecurities within each other. Mm -hmm. I think one of the main things, one of the main reasons I split off was because I was so sick of competing, especially with Nolan. And we thought, and kind of like Saban was saying, we would get away from it all by going to separate colleges and finding our individual selves. And it, it, for me at least, splitting off actually caused me a decently hard period of depression because something felt deeply missing. And I, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I was thinking, wow, I'm in college, I'm independent, but there's a connection us four have that you can't even describe, but you can only feel when you don't have it. And if I'm referencing a point back to what I said earlier about me being relationship centered, I learned it through my brothers from splitting off at college that relationships, it was so obvious to me, that's where like a lot of life's meaning is. And they're so important to stay uh, committed to your goals and to stay fulfilled. So I think that, that was another reason we decided to split was the competition. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think one thing that Len, that's a great point, that I want to add to Lennon's point 
is that we not only did we realize something was missing eventually through our freshman years of college, but what's funny is what Sable was saying earlier, we competed so much and our goal was to get away from that competition. But you found, like Saban said, we were subtly competing with each other. Who's having the most lit college experience? I look at my back of my notes freshman year, like half of them were about how Saban gets more girls than me, or my college experience <laughs> is not good enough, or justifying why he's at a school that has more parties so I can still be okay with myself. Um, so it's, it's crazy how even not in each other's physical environment, because we hadn't done the necessary uh, self-transformation and reflection, these insecurities were still in our minds playing out and determining our self worth. Mm-hmm. So, oh, go ahead, uh, Mark. I have a quick point to sum it all up, like, because I was going to say the same thing. Like, I think the big takeaway is like, you try and run from your insecurities, and they'll just come up in different ways. And I think that universal lesson can is more than just oh, because we're quadruplets and we're judging each other and stuff like that. So I think that's like a bigger the bigger takeaway I have is like you can't just run from your insecurities. Like, and it only, like, we weren't even aware that these were new forms. I thought I'd moved on. Look at me dating girls now and getting with girls and going out. I'm not my hockey self. Look how much better who I am. And because I wasn't aware, I'm, the, I'm literally the same thing under the, way under the surface, which is running my life, the same competition, the same judgment, the same. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you have the kind of, um, until you kind of dig up that, programmed belief system and value system that has been instilled in you since you were little, um, you know, you don't, you can't get away from it to your point because, um, because it's in here. It's, it's not out there. It's not, I'm going to go over here and do this. I'm going to get away from him. I'm going to, I'm going to go do, you know, to this school or do this sport or date these women. It, um, it's all, it's all inside. And it seems like you guys really realize that um, too, a lot of important things, but two things that really stand out to me is connection, which is, you know, in human needs psychology, there's six human needs that we all have and we all are striving to fulfill. And connection is one of those very powerful needs. And so, um, you know, we're all fulfilling it just in different ways. And some ways are um, healthier than others. Um, So it seems like, you know, you guys had this, this, amazing bond and connection for obvious reasons, but then you felt a void, um, it sounds like, when you, when you parted ways, even though you were trying to find this way to, you know, find fulfillment separately but and you can still do that is what is where it seems like you are now you've realized as you've grown and gone through this that you can still have your individuality and and do your different things and not feel like you have to compete and still have your tight connection and that's important it's a delicate balance that we've struggled to find over many years we got only a kind of attention for our collective identity then we only wanted to be individuals going off to college and what we realized is that even part of my individual identity is composed of all of them. We're all connected. There's not this clear cut line between collective identity and individual identity, but finding the balance between that in which part of my individual identity embraces that I am a quadruplet and I'm proud of that and I'm accepting of that. And I think that's kind of a place we've all kind of found our ways over over many, many years. Well, it seems to me too that um, what wonderful practice because the things that you've had to work out 
psychologically with each other, with your brothers, those are things that you probably, we all have to work out in various relationships throughout our lives. And so most of the time, you know, most of us aren't twins or triplets or quadruplets, and we maybe have siblings, but, you know, the dynamic might be a little bit different. But, you know, to be able to have the ability or to look at it and frame it up as, you know, we've had this gift of kind of going through this process. We were rebutting heads and we were competitive and, you know, we, we separated and we've come back together and all of the stuff that was challenging and that you struggled with, those are not really any different than what you're going to have to go through in various points in your, throughout your lives and that we all have to. So you've had this wonderful like training ground, this practice to get your belief systems figured out, get your value system, your personal constitutions in place, find the balance in your individuality and then collectively. And now you have this wonderful opportunity because of the uniqueness of who you are to really use that as a wonderful platform to go full force ahead. And because of your uniqueness, that alone garners you a lot of attention, which is awesome since you have such a valuable message and, you know, an inspirational stuff that you want to share. I think it's really amazing. It's really interesting. We, we, really, we, we really appreciate that. And I would just say that, yeah, like you said, because of our unique circumstances, we're lucky enough to have this training ground. All these things happen that oftentimes take a lot longer for yeah. you know, other people. We had this all happen and learned all these lessons just by 22. And so that's why I do think, like they said earlier, we could help a wider audience, but we can especially help the people that are just starting out kind of on this journey. Yeah. yeah. Our generation. I also think you this is the best support system I, I, I ever know. And the reason we're able to have these values that are so atypical of, of people our age is because we have a support system that tells us like, wow, you, you're doing amazing. You're doing a great job. You know, we're gonna lift you up. We're all gonna go through this together. Um, and this, the uniqueness of being a quadruplet is also what showed us that like, what real deep connection is. That's why we're so able to decipher what this surface level connection we felt maybe with people at college yeah. versus what a really deep, vulnerable connection means and feels like. So that's why those are the type of tools that we want to use to help the world because we feel like we've almost seen like what that's like in our because of our circumstance. I think that's a, an amazing point, Lynn. And to add to that, like it's so funny how like being quads and like this at one point judgment system into like more of a support system now how it can make us have some of the worst values and magnify those but it can also make us so accountable and supportable for each other and now that so it's like it can take us to both extremes and i think the reason we're able to transform from such a low to, uh, by the time ice hockey ended around 19 to now 22 to such not perfect obviously but a lot more high in terms of support and accountability is because of like Glenn said our support system Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll just add real quick that I once, uh, I, I never forget this, I had a friend, actually it was a girl I used to date, showed me um, a picture of two twins coming out of the womb, literally holding each other. And I just think that describes like the connection mm -hmm. we've had so perfectly, yet at the same time we let so many of our insecurities magnify and prevent us from feeling that connection. And it took a certain degree of suffering when we were all apart in that deep pain of missing each other to realize how much we truly value each other and just kind of this idea of unconditional human connection in the, the moments where we would all reunite for just a few days 
was just beyond blissful and almost beyond words to describe. And we'd always have tears at the end of every single uh, trip that we would have when we would come visit each other at college. You know, let's be honest, we did not like each other growing up. And it's because <laughs> we were around each other so much that I wanted nothing to do with my brothers by the time I went out to college. I couldn't wait. They were just competition, getting in the way of my hockey dreams. Lennon and me both played goalie in hockey. He always was competing with me for a spot on a team. I always despised him for that. And like yeah. they're all, once we you separate, you realize, oh my God, I don't have anyone in my life that I really feel that comfortable with. That and as we end up transforming, that I can be that vulnerable with and truly myself. Whether that's laughter, deep conversation, it's like I don't feel judged in my values and the things I say by them. And I can't really say that about many other people. So, what do you guys think um, it takes? So, let's say that you have um, a a group of friends or some peers and they're like, wow, you know, you just seem to really have yourself together. What do you tell them if they want some advice on how they can start kind of moving in that direction and just feeling like more in control of themselves and experiencing some of the things that you guys are experiencing? Um, I would say the first thing, and I made a YouTube series on this, and it's the most practical thing for anyone is meditate. And the reason I say this is you can tell them, oh, like try and program different beliefs and stuff. And that may or may not work. But I think meditating has this like, and you just sit on and start with five minutes a day. Because then you get them on this train of just doing something practical, practical daily that allows them to become aware of these habitual thoughts and patterns that have been running their life and running through your subconscious. And once you get to the awareness step, and I think meditation is one of the best, most practical ways to get there. I think that's the first, this tiny step, five minutes a day to start unfolding and manifesting. Yeah, yeah I'll add to that real quick if I can. Um, I think it starts with internal transformation. We all had to go through a series of our own personal transformation to, like Mark said, become aware of these insecurities, challenge or reprogram them, and ultimately transform into people who actually felt more whole and complete on the inside so we can actually be a presence for others. And so if there's a group of friends and they're all still running off, you know, programming from society or evolution and they haven't had any awareness of that and any way to transform themselves within, if they didn't go within first, they're never going to fix their relationships without. So I would want to add that. Yeah, he makes a good point on, even though separating from college definitely made us miss each other so much, our relationships have gotten even better over the past few years. And that's because we've, insecurities are blockers to connection. They're blockers to being present in your life. They, when they come up and something triggers them, you can't even be present, you're so in your head. So mm -hmm. working on transforming your inner state also opens up this beautiful thing called connection and presence. Um, and I think that's what I'm gonna say. Yeah, I think I had more of that. Yeah, no, the last thing I'll add is like, internal transformation is a long process. Um, I guess the first thing I would tell them is like, go first, tell one of your friends something vulnerable, something maybe you're insecure about and see how they respond. And you know, the people you have a chance at a deep connection with when they are, they're not judging, they're not, they're, they're simply listening, they're supporting, they're hearing you. When you have that, because I've had that with friends at my college, UC San Diego, I've had both. Some people who don't know how to relate very well and don't respond very well when I get, when I open up, because I do open up very easy now that it's taken a lot of work. Um, and there's other people who will respond with, they'll be vulnerable back and you might give them permission to do so, or they'll just listen and hear you really well. And so just take a risk, 
talk not only about the positive, but actually go a little bit into your struggles, and then you'll be able to see who can you really connect with. I think that's a huge yeah. first step. And also who can support you along the way it comes back. You actually are testing which friends can be that like deep level of support that you need to make your transformation yes. by doing this sort of vulnerability test. And it's a lot easier to do that once you transform within, right? It feels so much easier to do that once you once you once you've had that full transformation. It becomes so much easier to call, kind of make that test. And if you get met with some pain, you know that necessarily it's not about you, but it's about them, and they're not ready. You're more willing to be like, I don't need to necessarily hang around someone who I don't feel a safe space to be fully myself around. You're much easier able to keep those people that you truly, because you know you deserve those people once you transform with them. You know you deserve. Them. That will treat you the way you want to. And I think that's also an action you can take as you're internally transforming. That's like one action step you can yeah. take that will that, that connect you to other people. Yeah. And the last thing I'll add is um, really being able to say when something bothers you. I would tell that group of friends, you guys need to create a dynamic, safe space. It's, by which, it's <laughs> so hard by which you can actually tell people, hey, and we just had a long conversation <laughs> last night with our older brother and his girlfriend, and it was not easy. But all of us had to be aware of the narratives and thoughts that came up in our head. We had to exhibit listening and humility. We didn't have to, we couldn't get defensive. We just wouldn't let ourselves. And we actually had a really productive conversation and were able to work through those tensions. And every time you work through those pains and those tensions, there's growth on the other side of that in your relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think that you are now fully transformed or do you think that it's going to be a lifelong process that now you realize that there's been transformation and it's just the beginning. That's a great question. Yeah, yeah that's, you nailed it on your second point. There's no, I, the more I transform, the more I realize I have so much more work to do. I'm not gonna let that prevent me from being happy in the now, I'm proud of where I've come, because I've come a long way over the past couple of years. It's actually crazy. But to think that I'm fully transformed, like, I have so many different bad beliefs and insecurities and even problems with my brother's relationships. Maybe even in this talk, them thinking, oh my God, they're just speaking so much, maybe I won't get my chance. Even in this talk, I'm having these type of automatic thoughts that I have to observe. So yeah, it is a lifelong process and it's actually, for me, personal and spiritual transformation, is, it resonates with me. It feels right and it feels like it's where I wanna go. Mm -hmm. um, I also think, and this is going back to what Nolan said and something I do, you can create a support system of your own so you can celebrate the progress you're making along the way so you stay motivated. So I learned this from somewhere, but it's called a victory journal. So if I journal every single night about how the day went, but it's also the things I'm trying really hard to work on, the deep insecurities that I'm finally confronting, my deepest forms of hockey stuff and competition actually still playing out. If you write about it, not only is it so therapeutic, but it just it helps you be proud. That's why it's called stacking victories. You st stack these victories. You give yourself that like dopamine hit that you deserve for, for doing the thing you said a hundred times easier to do it the next day. Because your brain is now being programmed to know there's a reward. If you do these hard things, you get a right and feel good at the end of the day. Most people just let the good things slip by and their inner voice takes over and they focus on the bad, how far they haven't come, how far they still have to go. And this is a way to kind of counteract that. Mm -hmm. And I would say real quick, I'll just let you know, we delayed our, one thing I forgot to mention is during hockey, we delayed our happiness so much for the future because we, as harshly as we judge each other, in inner world, outer world reflection, right? We judge ourselves. And so, yeah, I just, I just want to, I think that's a great point that actually 
I know, um, no, I was really to what I was going to say or what I'm going to say. I know, I think it's uh, Socrates quotes, you know, when he says, he who knows realizes how little he knows. I don't know if I got that exactly right. Uh, who cares? Close um, enough. The point is, but I think here's a problem we run into when we, as we with our insecurities, uh, hear that. Okay. We don't know a lot yet, obviously. So we have so much work to do that we cannot be happy now or have no right to be happy now unless we're the super transformed, perfect people. Um, so I think the point Zane was trying to make is like you have to, and it sounds paradoxical and it's hard, easier said than done, cultivate a state of being happy in the now while also realizing how much you have to do. Um, and Lennon was referring to Ed Milet, my motivational speaker, and he actually has a rule, the 80-20 rule, where he's like 80% of the time, you should kind of do what Lennon's doing. Focus on the things you did well, focus on the progress you've made and really see that because your ego wants to show you only what you're missing. And then 20% of the time, you need to really hone in on, these are the things I need to work on, I have a lot of work to do. And that's kind of balance. Yes, exactly. He calls it a term, it's called blissful dissatisfaction. And it sounds paradoxical, but it's, yeah. it's this idea of, being present on the journey and still happy with the journey while working towards your goal and not waiting to yeah. the goal to be happy. There's a, there's a great line I love to say. He goes, he yeah. says this exactly. He says, ladies out there, um, know that you are whole and complete and perfect right now in this moment as you are, but simultaneously that this version of you will be inferior one year from now. So it kind of really strikes that balance between mm -hmm. you're also whole and complete and deserving of happiness now, but you also are fueled by that to grow and be a better version of yourself in the future. Because I think people often think that those two aren't compatible. Yeah. Right, right. Good point. Very, very good, you guys. You guys have been doing your work. I'm so impressed. Well, if I wasn't, you wouldn't be on here talking with me. So yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Um, and I think you have a lot of really great insight and, and just from not just from book learning and talking it, but from your own experience and from your own, you know, transformation. Um, so I think that's really valuable. Uh, I want to ask you guys about a going rogue story. So uh, tell us about a time when, and since there's four of you, um, you know, you're going to have to, it can't be a TED talk. It's going to have to be shorter. So so give me, uh, give, give us a, a scenario about a time when you just decided that you were going to go completely in another direction, you know, maybe just really, it was challenging, it was outside of protocol, maybe it was frowned upon and you just did it anyway. And it ultimately was the best thing that could have ever happened to you. Yeah, that's a Great, I just love the rogue story idea. I think I'll start because I have a very early one. So we have a, we adopted this mindset very early on that we want to stand out from society, and do things differently. And I think also because we have each other to support, even in the hockey days, we in some ways supported each other. We we're able to stand up from society easier than like an individual would. So the example I'm going to give is it was a summer we were turning 16 or 17, I can't remember, and most kids spend their summers like relaxing, skating a few times a week. Uh, it's not the season, right? We said no. We went to the ice starting at 5 a.m. and stayed all the way to 2 p.m. So that's not eight to nine hours a day, six to seven days a week the whole summer. And 
that is everyone. People told us we were crazy. Members. People said, You guys live here. You should own lock room six, the lock room you have. That's your home. We bring food, everything crazy. And I can't say for sure that that was the best now in the long term for who I am now. But for the time, for the context of hockey, that is what fueled us. And that's really what got us to the highest youth level possible. We were always a little behind in hockey. We started late. Or late birth years, which kind of gives you this advantage. Um, but with, with that six hours a day and that unparalleled dedication compared to anyone else, we kind of just beat out the competition of hard work and made the highest level. So that's like a very early on story. You know, we adopted, I'll just add quickly to this point. We, that's where we adopted like this sort of, people call it insane discipline that we still carry in our lives and it has some negatives, but I also think it has a lot of positives if you could commit that find balance, but also commit that to the right sort of values that, that, you, that you want. And you can heal the, the fear of not being individually loved because if that's part of the motivator, then that's never going to feel good inside. So as we've learned to heal that, we've realized we still kept the discipline, but I think the motivation for that discipline is much better geared towards other people not to fill an internal hole. Is um, another yeah, but I was say real quick to Mark's point. I think that was the first time that we were really willing to say, even at a very young age, we don't have to do it to say, we were also going to take a gap year and I'm not working out for the finances to play hockey, you get pressured as a society to go to college right after high school. And even as early as 16, when we were skating that much, we were saying, we're not going to do what everyone else does. We're not going to stick to the society's program and we're going to stand out and support each other in that. And so that was a great example where we had to kind of face the judgment of, you're pursuing hockey that hard? What's wrong with you? You should be thinking about college. It's your, it was summer of junior year of high school. You gotta be thinking about ACTs and everything like this. We support each other and say, no, this is what resonates. So even though it's not my dream now, we stuck strong in our values, even though society mm -hmm. wants otherwise. Okay. You know? So is your, so you all have, that's the, that's like the same, you all have the same going rogue story. The foundation we, for like everything. We probably all have like a little more individual ones as well. Yeah, we can share. Any you want to share? Yeah, yeah please. I, you I can share, I can share real fast. I'll go quick. But mine was not that long ago. Um, it was maybe four or five months ago. You guys might know where I'm going with this. Um, I had my, because we want, had this need for individuality and that manifested itself in our childhood is what we call individual significance. Expressing your individuality by being the best at your brothers at something. Not just doing something that's your own, being the best at your brothers. And for me, that built up my sophomore and junior year of college as being the smartest, the one who knew the most. I majored in philosophy. I kind of got an ego and an identity as somebody who knows the most about current issues and thinks the deepest. And it wasn't until spring quarter and COVID hit. And let me just say this real fast. I was very anti-spirituality and not super into self-help or personal growth either until this shift. So this is my big shift. So I was taking online classes for the first time. Um, they, I at first to start the spring quarter, started March 30th, the first three, four weeks. Convinced myself I still liked it. Convinced myself because it was familiar to me. And it was my identity. I had to convince myself that I loved it. I think people do this often. Um, they don't want to really change or convince themselves they're happy enough in their current situation. Mm -hmm. um, and these alienating spring quarter classes, they end up going from, I remember thinking like, why am I absorbing all this abstract academic knowledge in these philosophy classes? I was dreading every Zoom class. I was looking at the clock every five minutes, finding myself easily disengaged. And it finally came to a point where I said, why am I doing that? Why am I doing this? And once I started challenging that, I realized one, my need to get smart was driven from insecurity and not being like an individually loved. 
Um, I also feel like society, I felt like I was standing apart from society by choosing philosophy as a major, but I was still within the realm of the cultural bound of you have to go to college, pick an academic major. And I was under the belief that my contribution to the world had to be through academics, had to be something important. Mm. And so when I started questioning that, it was like end of April, early May, I cannot tell you how confused and lost and how many like moments of meaninglessness I had. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know because I felt like I was living so much under the shadow of others and under the shadow of my own insecurities, what I really loved and what really resonated with me. Mm. So a lot of internal questioning and reflecting. I had a talk with Saban a few months ago, how I said, I don't know how to do anything for its own sake. I don't know how to do anything purely because I enjoy it. I always do it as a means to some end that's going to apparently help me in my future. And after much reflection and thinking, I read a great book called The Four Sacred Secrets by Preetnaji and Krishnaji. They're this great Indian couple who uh, transforms consciousness in India. And it was the first, here's why this transformation was so important. It opened me up, wow, I don't just have to stick to my moral duty and my duty that's driven from my insecurity to stick in the academic realm. I can actually be open to spirituality and personal growth. And it was the first time that I gave, my, gave, that, gave it an open chance. This was probably end of May, early June. And I finally feel like I found a purpose that has resonated far. It resonates so much deeper with me than academics ever did. It's something during a global pandemic that feels so relevant to me, challenging my inner voice, reprogramming my beliefs, learning to sit with negative feelings, learning to cultivate better relationships through my own inner transformation. So uh, yeah, I guess I'll wrap up and say like that shift from moving from not at all what resonated with me and, and just be, being stuck in this narrow view of I have to do academics to now finally finding a true genuine purpose of spiritual and personal transformation. And it's, that's how I want to help the world. It's not, I've already decided it's not going to be in the academic realm. And I thought it was going to be for years. So I mean, yeah, I can go. Mine is somewhat similar to Nolan. And I think what Nolan is talking about is he was able to cultivate a sense of, of listening to his inner voice and his intuition. And that's what told him that spirituality resonated even deeper than his, what his should voice. Um, I had an interesting story in quarantine. So I had the same, insecurity of masking the appearance of perfection. I was coming back on spring break and I just remember being in the beautiful California weather with all my brothers. I just started the YouTube channel. I was, had three or four dates lined up and it all seemed just so, so perfect on the outside, but inside I was continuing to rot and rot like I had my whole life. And then things started falling apart with COVID. As the world fell apart, my, my life started falling apart. Every girl fell apart. I wasn't close to any of my brothers. They literally had to, they literally typed out pages and pages and pages of tensions they had with me built up for years and confronted me. And I still remember having to sit and listen to all these poems they had with me when my ego just, just wanted to scream. And so I got to a point with all of this. It all culminated when we were sitting right here, actually, ready to shoot a YouTube video in April. And the tensions kept rising and rising and the volume got louder and louder until Lenin said, basically screw this i'm not doing the youtube channel anymore because he was so pissed and he felt like i was using him for the channel and I, as I've, des I've described this actually once before in a talk i gave a couple weeks ago as lenin left the room my heart sunk to the floor and i literally felt like lenin was stomping on my heart as he um as he walked out of the room and my brothers did the exact same thing because they knew the video wasn't going to be shot anymore and i felt for the first time in my life I don't know. I felt depressed and I never thought I would feel that feeling, but there was a, 
in that suffering, in that valley of deep, deep suffering, I made this internal decision that I'm not going to keep looking for external goals to fill internal holes, but I'm actually going to go deeply within and really start challenging the very essence of my being, this one model of reality that's been running my life about hearing perfect. And what's funny is, as that I made that shift, external things started happening. That's when I found Mind Valley. That's when I found Vishen Lakhiani, who I looked up to so much. And he captivated me in an interview with Tom Bilyeu when he talked about the hustle myth and the idea that hard work is not just the answer and this is going within an intuition. And this leads to a month or two later, I asked this question. I said, should I go back to the University of Notre Dame with COVID and everything? And an intuition came to me a couple weeks later that said, no, you shouldn't. You should spend this year with your brothers and pursuing your passions and continuing this journey you started. And I think Jay Shetty was the one who said that the best decisions of his life came down to three things. Mm -hmm. uh, it was against everything he was doing at his age, which is me for going to college. Everyone thought he was crazy. And deep down, he knew it was exactly what his heart was meant to do. And he has all these decisions that turned out to be the best. And I feel like in a way I went rogue by saying no to going back to college. And it's been the best I can already see now. It's not even like a year later. It's the best decision of my life. I can already see that right in this moment. Nice. That's awesome. That's yeah, I'll keep mine shorter for sure. Similar to Sabin, <clears throat> I think my rogue story in part definitely started because COVID has made us question a lot of the ways we used to run our life. I think a lot of people either were kind of forced to do that or choose to escape it. We kind of, I definitely chose to escape it at first. You know, I was, I just broken up with my girlfriend at the time, but I was hanging on to her. We were still texting and having this less serious relationship. And I, all I remember is always wanting her validation. I always wanted to be around my brothers. I never wanted to face myself. And then what happened? I, it's hard to describe the moment, but I definitely started getting depressed again. I said, how could I be getting depressed? Like I did my freshman year of college, I have everything I want. I'm around my brothers. We have a home gym. How could I? But I could not deny the feelings. Um, all these different, so many different inner voice conflictions and narratives going on in my head. And what changed it for me was actually a book. The book is called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And the reason it resonated with me so much is it, makes a clear distinction that you're not the voice of your mind and that you can work actively and spiritually to separate from your voice. And that hit me so hard because my whole life has been run by this guy in my head that is destroying me, that's always telling me I'm not enough, that's always bringing up unnecessary feelings of anxiety and guilt and shame. And it sounds so simple, but this book, I feel like I've seen a new world and this happened a month and a half ago to where it also is, it's a source of a lot of pain because I'm finally confronting narratives that I've never confronted before. Deep stuff, uh, deep insecurities. I, 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 and you see these versions in your life or think ways you're trying to escape your problems once you see this. You also, just by noticing your inner voice, you see how much it lets you down, how wrong it is, but you still listen to it. You listen to every last word like it's your best friend. Um, so that transformed, that helped me also just realize that's how I want to help the world. I want people to transform the inner states 
by changing their relationship with their inner voice, by working every day, and it is beyond hard and discomfort and uncomfortable, and you'll feel like life is just confusing, but you push every single day. You first try and separate from your thoughts by constantly reminding yourself they're not actually you. You can be something else. You have a soul that thinks you're enough and that thinks you're worth it and that you don't have to listen to it. And then reprogramming beliefs, sort of like affirmations, but I, Saban has taught me to use them in the form of questions. So if I'm insecure about my body, which is definitely a huge insecurity for me, you'll ask yourself a affirming question like, why is my body enough right now? Because your brain can believe a question more than just an affirmation that your inner voice says, that's not true, your body's not enough. But if you say, why is it enough? Kind of got to come up with an answer. Um, so that sort of spiritual realization has set me off on a spiritual journey that has defined my entire year. It's the reason I'm not going back to school. I need to take a time, take a break, and I'm so lucky to, from all the externals and achieving in classes and go inside and learn to be fulfilled and deal with my deepest problems. Beautiful. Um, say every waking hour of the day process. If you really observe how much your inner voice goes off and choose not to either just let it run on autopilot or just ignore it or just engage in it, it is in every waking hour, especially some of those deepest held beliefs. You want to cling to them and believe them, and you have to just keep reminding yourself, they're not me, and just stay centered. And like, mm-hmm. I love stay that. Stay centered. Yeah. Meditating helps you stay centered as well. Like, yeah. Because you'll notice when you meditate, or when, if, if, if any of if the viewers, if you want to, you don't think this is that big of a problem, try sitting with yourself in a room for two hours. Try just being present and watch how your inner voice will literally not let you be present. <laughs> Destroy yeah. moments. And I wanted to add real quick to that, there's this great thing I heard once that basically if you think you are, a lot of people I've heard say, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think I'm not enough. Oh, you don't? Okay, why? Um, yeah, I think I'm enough because X. Whatever that X is, that's exactly where their, their worst clinging is. That's one of their worst areas of clinging. If they don't say, why are you, uh, I'm enough. Are you not? Yes. Why? Because I just am, no reason. Anything besides that, there's a there's a problem. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all the time that we have today, but we have so much more good stuff to talk about. So this wraps up part one. Make sure to check back next week for part two with the Karma Quads.